0: Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to the book of Ecclesiastes. As we turn to God's word, let's go to him once again, asking for his help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, speak. Speak. For your people are gathered here this morning to listen. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The question for everyone, Uh, the children are welcome to, uh, to answer out loud. Fire in a house, good or bad? Fire in a house, good or bad? Well, it depends, right? It depends. Uh, How about this? Power on earth. Power on earth. Is it good or is it bad? Well, it depends. You know, fire in a house that's contained within a fireplace or a wood stove is good. It's good for heating. It's good for cooking. But fire in a house that's not contained, it's destructive to both life and property. Power expressed through wisdom is good and beneficial. It builds up. It protects. But power expressed through folly is bad and dangerous. It tears down and it destroys. Well, today in our text, we'll see the preacher draw attention. We'll see Solomon draw attention to the power of wisdom and folly. Well, it's no doubt, uh, of course, that wisdom is going to be a theme of today's message. I mean, Ecclesiastes is one of the Old Testament wisdom books. And, and we recall at the beginning, at the end, the preacher says, All is vanity. All is I like a mist, all is a vapor, all is a breath. It's fleeting, it's empty. And he says on a number of occasions, it's like chasing the wind. He says at the end of the book that as we read the book, we will run into words of pleasure, words of delight, words of pain, words that are sharp and that uh, can kind of penetrate. We'll see words that provide perspective and that overall perspective we're headed to it once again is to fear God and keep his commandments and all throughout we have found words that help prepare us for death and judgment. Ecclesiastes is helping to keep us anchored to that calling to live by faith. One day we're going to live by sight but now it's living by faith in Jesus Christ In this world that is fallen, frustrating, futile, confusing, and chaotic. Full of sin and misery. Ecclesiastes is presenting the necessity for all of us to fear God in this world. In this fallen, futile, frequently confusing, at times chaotic world. The author the preacher Solomon is wanting us to see what he is learning also that life with God is full and fulfilling but life without God is empty it's vain we've been exposed week after week to the hard reality of the little that we do know and the vast extent of what we cannot control in our world And we see that the more the preacher looks, the more he struggles to make sense of his world. Ecclesiastes does not claim to have all the answers. It doesn't have all the answers, but it helps us in asking the right questions in stopping to think. It helps us to know and to love and to serve the Lord, the one who we see presently by faith. Last week we took a look at the first 12 verses in chapter 9 in matters of life and death. We saw once again the little that we know and the little that we can control. And after opening up with a few words about the sovereignty, providence, and mysterious ways of God, we went to matters of life and death. And the preacher said about death that it's certain, it's sad, and it can be sudden. But he notes that life is to be hopeful It can be enjoyable and it will be limited. And so live your life purposeful in the here and now. Ecclesiastes, like all of the Old Testament, leans forward to Jesus who, as we thought about toward the end of last week's message, he addresses matters of life and death. And Jesus doesn't just address in his teaching ministry and his healing ministry matters of life and death. He takes life and death into his own hands. We saw that this text that we looked at last week functions as a sort of stop sign where we are to stop, to look both directions, to look at life, to look at death, and then to go, to move through looking to Jesus, following him. In making now this transition from chapter uh, 9 to chapter 10, as we will see today, Uh, one commentator says this, the preacher, quote, has made his case against our self-sufficiency. He has finished his work of demolition. The site has been cleared. He can turn to building and planting. So today, as we move toward the end of chapter 9 into the beginning of chapter 10, Ten, It's as if the, beer, the, the tearing away, the cutting down, the demolition has been done. And from here on out, it'll be more building and rebuilding, planting. He's got some themes for the upcoming chapters. Uh, chapter 10, be sensible. Chapter 11, be bold and be joyful. And in chapter 12, be godly. Well, today's text, not surprisingly, is going to center around wisdom and folly. Let's join now in reading chapter 9, verse 13, through chapter 10, verse 11. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it. "'building great siege works against it. "'But there was found in it a poor wise man, "'and he by his wisdom delivered the city. "'Yet no one remembered that poor man. "'But I say that wisdom is better than might, "'though the poor man's wisdom is despised "'and his words are not heard. "'The words of the wise, heard, in quiet "'are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools.' Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves." He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Well, our approach today will be to unpack and explore what the preacher has to say about the power of wisdom and the power of folly. Uh, The preacher, we will see, is not neutral. In so many words, he will commend the one and condemn the other. Let's take a look. First, wisdom is good and powerful. He spoke of a great example of wisdom under the sun. And we see that in verse 13. And we see that wisdom that's good and powerful benefits the community. It's that that statement that this poor wise man, he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. We read in 2 Samuel 20 that by her wisdom, this unnamed, unknown woman saved the city. The city. The preacher is recalling an incident, and it it appears not to be a parable, but really an incident. Uh, It's Solomon, the son of David. He could be thinking about that very thing that we read. He recalls that incident in which there was a struggle between prestige, a great king, and insignificance, a, a little city, between strength, great siege works, and weakness. Again, a little city. Wisdom benefits the community. The community was saved. It was delivered through the wisdom, through the application of wisdom by this unknown man. We see that not only wisdom benefits the community, but wisdom is quiet. If you jump down to, to verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. This wisdom doesn't draw attention to itself. It's quiet. Here, the idea is not only it's received quietly, that's good, but also given quietly. And notice that wisdom is better. He often is making comparisons. Here, he picks up comparisons. Again, that. The wise, hurt and quieter, better. But also, in verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The, the preacher is helping all of us to make comparisons, to evaluate, to, to recognize that there is this and there is that, and one is better than the other. And he's saying wisdom is better. Now, you would think if, if wisdom benefits the community, If wisdom really doesn't ruffle feathers, it doesn't grate, it's it's a quiet voice, then why would wisdom be unrecognized and not appreciated? Did you hear how that narrative account went? Yet no one remembered that poor man. And not only that, but that poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not Heard. Does that mean his further words? We don't know. But sadly, this good thing, this quiet thing, this beneficial thing, this better thing is unrecognized and not appreciated. But it's not a call here for us to abandon wisdom because it appears useless or unforgotten or not remembered, but to to rather to persevere. In the light of wisdom, the wisdom that is better and the wisdom that benefits. And to trust God, to leave the outcome to God. Here you see this idea that wisdom is valuable, but also wisdom is vulnerable. Wisdom can be spoken. The wise path can be laid out. And yet that doesn't guarantee That it's followed. So let's think for a moment about wisdom. It's good. It's powerful. We've been seeing already, though, that it's bounded. It has limits. Right? It's not ultimate. Even the wisest man known, Solomon, flawed, sinful. He he didn't have all knowledge. He was dependent So with that recognition of what wisdom is, ask yourself this question. Do you recognize wisdom? Do you appreciate wisdom, especially the wisdom that comes from someone else? I'm not talking about the wisdom that you may see in the mirror. I'm thinking about the wisdom that you may see through the window in other people. When was the last time you thanked someone for something they shared? When was the last time you wrote a note to someone and said, thank you for giving me a warning. I didn't even know it was a warning. Can you recognize the godly, humble, quiet, unassuming wisdom that your neighbor, that a member of your family, that a fellow church member may have? Even wisdom that's coming as it were, from people who may not even be believers. He he, he evaluates wisdom with this great example. It's good, right? We've been talking about it's good and powerful, but, but, now often in scripture, it's the turning point of something good. But when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? It's, it's the, the but that's good. Now here we see the but that is bad. At the end of chapter 9, one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is not only unrecognized, wisdom can be thwarted. And so here the preacher is really balancing things out. He's praising wisdom's power and effectiveness That this wise man can successfully help this city overcome a hopeless situation. And yet, now he goes to the other side of the scale. One sinner can make a mess of things. So we see in our text not only that wisdom is good and powerful, but folly is bad and powerful. And let's hear that principle illustrated in chapter 10, verse one. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Literally, roughly translated, it makes stink, makes bubble up. Now, this illustration didn't first appeal to my smell, as it were. It first appeared to my sight, right? This beautifully smelling ointment. Not, no, not so much lotion, not oil, but ointment. And the fly, the flies have landed on it. And the flies are going to die and decay on it. And over time, the beautiful perfumed smell gets overcome by a stench. Here's the illustration, dead flies on perfumed ointment. And the principle, of course, is in the rest of the verse. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The perfume representing wisdom and honor and yet sin in the sense of folly. What does it do? It outweighs wisdom and honor. A small mistake makes the smell of folly greater than the fragrance of wisdom. I think it's helpful to to think about other ways that this proverb and kids, this is really important for you as you grow up and as you start making choices and, and decisions outside of mom and dad's care and guidance. Think about this, an ounce of folly can destroy a ton of wisdom. You accrue a ton of wisdom, and yet one ounce of folly tips the scales and flips it over. How about this? It takes far less to ruin something than to create it. If you were like me growing up, boys, I built a lot of stuff out of sticks and, and pine needles and, um, and leaves. I t- spent an hour building something and about 30 seconds destroying it. I would spend days building the model of a Messerschmitt 109 and just a few seconds blowing it into a thousand pieces. Again, it takes far less to ruin something than to create it. How about this? It's easier to make a stink than to create sweetness, right? Think about how long it takes to to host a, a dinner party where... The table is laid out and the host and hostess are gracious and welcoming everybody to the table. And it's glad and joyful. And then somebody, somebody at the table had a bad day at work and they want to express it at the table. The stink overwhelms the sweetness. And how about this one? Wisdom is acquired at great expense, but stupidity comes easily. Wisdom is hard. Folly is easy. What an illustration. What a principle. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. We see also in thinking about folly is bad and powerful. Look at verse 3. How The walk of a fool is described. His life, as it were, speaks. In a moment, we're going to talk about the words of a fool also, but but think about the walk, the behavior it speaks. Now, I think all of us have a tendency to to jump to conclusions based on one thing we see in someone else's life, or even in our life. But the, the, the issue is the walk, the manner, the characteristic. A fool is going to tell you he's a fool, she's a fool, by their manner of life, their walk. And one of the areas of walk is not just a person's behavior, but it's their words. And here, and most often, they're talking about the the outward words, the spoken words that are aggressive and loud, take no prisoners, but you know... This online world that we live in now, right? People say things online that they would never say face to face with a person, right? They hide behind the keyboard and they think the anonymity. But it's really telling when I know people, and I would say know them well, and then in their presence they are soft-spoken and gentle, but yet in the written word, whether it's online or just in a paper or whatever, it's folly. It's aggressive. It tears down. It doesn't build up. The heart we see is revealed in the walk. The walk reveals the heart. Look at verse two. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. The heart directs the words The heart directs the walk. We're not talking about politics here, not the left and the right political spectrum. We're talking about ancient culture, right versus left, honor or dishonor, blessing or cursing, skill or awkwardness, approval or disapproval, uh, right or wrong. Uh, You can go to Judges and see left-handedness is linked to incompetence. Uh, You see that the blessing is done with the right hand. And you see even Jesus, when he separates the sheep from the goats, someone's on his right hand, someone's on his left hand. And it's a scriptural indication because it's, it's a cultural thing. The wise is inclined to the right. The, the fool is inclined to the left. The, the wise is upright, skillful, and resourceful. Uh, the fool, the, the one of folly, is one of fumbling and incompetence. If you... If you tack this on to Proverbs in particular, you see that inclined to the right is the correct route. Inclined to the left is the path of error. And so Solomon, the preacher, is saying that the fool, and not the wise man, the fool inclines to the left, to the less valuable, to the less good, and at times to the positively wrong. So there's the walk of the fool, the the heart of the fool, and we see in our text folly in high places. Folly in high places. Um, It's an upside down world. I mean, leadership, of all things, should be where wisdom is, and yet we see leadership and authority. We see, sadly, folly. We all can see folly. But you know, it's interesting, you can't see hypocrisy. Uh, I was reminded the other day of Table Talk, October 2009. There was an article, Hypocrisy in High Places. And of all things, a few years after that article was written, the very author of that article, an ordained Presbyterian minister from Scotland, well-respected throughout the Reformed world, he got exposed for living a double life hypocrisy in high places he couldn't handle the exposure he couldn't go to Jesus and ask forgiveness he took his own life there's not only hypocrisy in high places there is folly in high places and the good news if there is any good news is you can't see the hypocrisy but you can see the folly they're shouts That may override wisdom. And and folly, unlike wisdom, is drawing attention to itself. The proper response to this folly in most cases. Expressed in a ruler's anger. As we see in verse 4. Is to be calm, to be cool, and to be collected. And that's easier said than done, right? It's hard in the presence of someone else's anger. Not to be angry yourself. But the preacher is calling the wise route is to be calm, to be cool, to be collected. We see this description of, of slaves on horses and princes walking on uh, ground. It's, it's people with resources. They lack the opportunity. And yet people with opportunity may lack the resources. Because folly in high places, in leadership, in government, it turns things upside down. It's not the way it should be. You know, public service should be just that public service, but we've seen too many cases of public service being just a means to to, to please yourself, to serve yourself. It's, it's the case here in Solomon's day, it's the case in our day. Some things just don't change. The folly speaks with a loud voice. Verse 17, and it wields the cold steel of the weapons of war in verse 18. But we need to move on because folly is not just in the high places. Folly is in everyday life. Join with me as I read again uh, verses 8 and following. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Here are some everyday occurrences, right? You dig a pit, you might fall into a pit and get hurt. You, you break through a wall and unknown to you living in the wall or on the other side of the wall is a serpent and you may get bit. You want to quarry stones for a good purpose and yet one may fall on you and hurt you. You want to split wood for the fire, and yet it may cause you injury. Here, the lesson is not that this is malicious intent, but rather that fools destroy themselves, harm themselves by their own foolishness. If you dig a pit, be careful. When you break through a wall, be careful. When you're quarrying stone, be careful. When you're splitting wood, be careful. Use your head and think. Often, but not always, wisdom brings safety and success. But then he moves on from this pit and wall and stones and logs to to say and show us about powerful wisdom and powerful folly in action. And these are images which... We are to slow down and and puzzle over like riddles. And so join with me as we draw our attention to verses 10 and 11. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So you've got an axe and you've got a serpent. With the axe, sharpen it first. It's, it's wise to sharpen beforehand and save energy, same effort. And here, uh, the danger is not acting. Just taking the dull blade and going to work. The danger is not acting. And yet, with the serpent, not Sharpen it first, like the axe, but charm it first. And take immediate action right away. And here the danger is acting too slowly. On the one hand, there's the danger of not acting. On the other hand, there's the danger of acting too slowly. A Navy admiral in World War II, Admiral Arleigh Burke, famous for how he used destroyers in naval warfare, once said this, the difference between a good and great officer, speaking of Navy officers, is about 10 seconds. The difference between a good officer and a great officer is about 10 seconds. In other words, what distinguished the good from the great is their ability to size up a situation and take decisive action that was correct. And 10 seconds saved lives. 10 seconds. Saved ships. The preacher is getting at something like that in these images. The famous Roman poet Ovid said this. At times it is folly to hasten. At other times to delay. Sometimes going fast is folly. Sometimes going slow is folly. Timing. Is critical timing in one sense is everything. You know, if the snake is not charmed, if the serpent is not charmed, uh, the handler may get bit. It does no good to lock the barn door, as it were, after the horse has been stolen. So, what is the lesson with this axe and this this serpent? Be prepared. Work smarter, not harbor. John Wayne in the Sands of Iwo Jima, as Sergeant Stryker in the Marine Corps, said this, Life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. And that's, in one sense, what the preacher is getting at here. Be smart. Be wise. Be careful. Don't be a fool. Stepping back for a moment, it takes wisdom, doesn't it? Wisdom from above, not just earthly wisdom of sharp axes and charming serpents. It takes wisdom from God to know whether to take more time to prepare or to act now before it's too late. Our text reminds us that there are two ways to live It's kind of like Psalm 1, it's kind of like Proverbs as a whole. Two ways to live, wisely or foolishly. You know, going back to where we begin, that illustration of what most likely is a historical event, a city saved by a wise man. It's not a prophecy of the person and work of Christ, But most assuredly, it is an analogy of the person and work of Christ. You know, that city was saved, was delivered by an unknown man and his wisdom. It helps us understand the person and work of Jesus, who he is what he did, what he does, and what he will do. Some of you that are just in your mind, you can go from one passage of scripture to another, may recall that when Jesus was on trial, Caiaphas, the high priest, advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. In other words, Caiaphas didn't know at the time that he was kind of falling right into God's perfect plan, he says, guys, it would be wise for one man to die instead of the whole nation. And that's indeed what happened. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Second Timothy. There's a couple of verses, that, or a verse in particular, that shows up right before chapter 3, verse 16. And I think sometimes because it's snug up to a more well-known verse, it's not as well-known. So Paul is writing Timothy in chapter 3, and he writes this in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquaint, acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures able to make us wise for salvation Now in making us wise for salvation, the scriptures lead us not to an idea, not to a concept, not to a belief, not even to a doctrine. The scriptures lead us to a person. You see, how do the scriptures make us wise for salvation? They lead us away from ourselves. They lead us away from abstract knowledge they lead us to a person remember Jesus's encounter with some of the religious leaders you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life My friends, the scriptures, even Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, lead us to the wisdom of God. They lead us, in other words, to Jesus Christ. So, my friends, as we wrap up, just a few questions. Are you wise? I mean, again, the choice between... Folly and wisdom, choose wisdom. Between being a fool and being wise, choose wise. But, but are, you, are you wise? And in being wise, have you been led or are you being led to a person? You see, the question that came out of our series in Galatians or the statement, which is a question as well, is you've got to take justification by faith Personally, you've got to take the gospel personally because it's good news about a person. Are you wise? Are you being led in that wisdom to a person? Have you been taken to Jesus and his gospel personally? If not, today's the day. Do not delay. Act now. One day, it really will be too late. Until then, hear the invitation of Jesus. Come to him and find rest for your souls. Amen. Father, we thank you for the wisdom literature of your scriptures. And Father, we thank you for the good common sense wisdom that we see to to not fall into a pit that we've dug, to be careful when we punch through a wall, to be careful when we're quarrying stones, to be careful when we're splitting logs. But, oh, Father, would you give us eyes to see the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is found only in Jesus. Father, we thank you that your word leads us to him and that in following him, he will lead us all the way home into your very presence forever, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. How do you want?